every single client of mine goes, oh, I don't want to watch myself. I don't want to watch myself. I don't like the way I look. And I go, well, this is part of the deal. And you're watching yourself. And I think a really good practice for people, there's a, this is, a, I think, a valuable, valuable tip, is to take your camera and record yourself before you're going to go in and talk to the boss, before you're going to make a pitch, before you're, if you are doing an interview, before you do the interview. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Jane. Jane, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're very welcome. It's good to chat with you. And I love that QR code that you've got there. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) And if people just, if they click on that, then they can immediately go to what, LinkedIn and stuff? They go to my LinkedIn uh, page. Yep. And they can absolutely connect with me. Well, that's fantastic. I'm always looking for new ideas. So that's just giving me one. <laughs> there you go. We can talk about that. Which more. every good entrepreneur needs yeah. to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think they naturally do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they could be stopped if they tried. They're always, what is that? How does that work? I love it. So tell us, what do you do? Who, who Give us the highlights of who you are and what you do for business. All right. So I like to call myself a reformed television journalist. Um, I worked for the NBC networks in New York for uh, almost 30 years. Um, Got was lucky enough to be able to get a job on air very quickly. um, When I got out of college and um, reported on anything one can possibly imagine that happens in, you know, New York is considered kind of by many people sort of the center of the universe, just in terms of its size and who goes through the hallowed streets of the city. And um, so it's pretty amazing um, job that I had. Um, But um, a while ago, probably around 10 years ago, I decided I hated the deadlines. Uh, I was really tired of the pressure, the ratings pressure. And um, I just wanted to see what I could do if I created my own business. And so I started a media and presentation coaching business. And it's fantastic and super fun. And I was able to take all of the skills I learned as a journalist and as a a person who made a lot of presentations, obviously did, you know, well over 100,000 interviews in my lifetime. Um, So I know how the media works very well. Uh, I was always uh, emceeing events, moderating panels, doing all of that. So when you kind of walk that walk, it's really a lot of fun and provides a lot of aha moments for clients to be able to help them walk that walk too. Nice. So with media presentations, what does that involve exactly? Well, um, so the companies that I work for, and there's a lot of corporations, there's a lot of individuals, there's a lot of authors, there's a lot of uh, you know, like celebrity chefs, chefs, um, uh, you know, other other forms of people who will be asked to come and either um, maybe it's because of their business, their business is getting a lot of media attention, or perhaps they're considered to be an expert and they're asked to give expert opinions um, on television or on any other media platform that exists, of which there are so very many these days. And podcasts. I help people learn how to be on podcasts. So there. Um, and so what the training really, what really does is we, we start by thinking who's going to be my audience, who will be the audience for whatever 
uh, media platform they're going to be on. I mean, one of the first things I asked you before we got on was, who is your audience? And you told me it's entrepreneurs, which, of course, are very dear to my heart. Um, and so we talk about who's the audience and then how to make sure you tailor your message to meet that just so that you resonate with that audience. Because you're not going to be speaking to a group of millennials and use stories that only baby boomers will understand. Um, well, you have don't to talk about Elvis the whole time. <laughs> now, he's still alive, isn't he? <laughs> I'm sure somebody's seen him lately. <laughs> well, if you go down to either Memphis or Nashville, you'll see great you know, those the, 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 the impersonators <laughs> that are walking all over the place. I met Elvis 10 times in one day in Nashville, um, but different outfit every time. <laughs> um, so we discuss, we talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then we really hone the message, but a giant part of what I also do is about the delivery and the body language. It's become a little more difficult because so many people are now using Zoom or some other, some other virtual form to do interviews mm -hmm. um, and hybrid situations for presentations and that kind of thing. But um, we we still discuss how do you use your body because we used our body language long before we had a spoken language. We've only been talking in languages for about 160,000 years, but have been walking earth for a heck of a lot longer than that. And we really communicated through our bodies then. And it's innate and we still do it. We make judgments about people every single day of our life based upon how they look, how they use their body long before they open their mouth. So that becomes really crucial. Well, and you, you brought up an interesting point of um, high-end chefs being asked to be interviewed because that brings up, somebody can be an absolute expert in the industry that they're in, whether they're a lawyer or a, an engineer, an architect, somebody that's you know kind of head down and looking it at their work, at their creativity. But then the idea of being able to articulate it in a speaking environment is one thing, but to be interviewed, especially on TV, I would think is an entirely other one because audio is one thing. I mean, you have to be articulate. You have to make sure there's no dead air, <laughs> ideally, mm -hmm. hopefully, mm -hmm. according to that. But I can well imagine what kind of pressure they must be under when they are suddenly on t television, they're being interviewed. And it's one of those things where you have like a 30 second clip or a five second clip. It's like, what do you get across in five seconds? Well, actually, that's a really, really good point. Because in those situations, it usually means something is taped ahead of time, or, you know, the video happens ahead of time. So you may think, oh, I've got 20 minutes with this interviewer or reporter so I can really expand on a subject. But then you see the piece after it's done and there's, it's a minute and a half long and it's got three 10 second sound bites of you. So you have to be even more conscious in those taped pieces about how you're saying things and how you're creating uh, a, a concise sound bite. I get a lot of complaints from uh, my clients who say they took my they took what I had to say out of context uh, because they used only a portion of the answer, which, which made it not have the same meaning. And that's very true. That's what happens. But if you take 40 seconds to, to answer a question and the whole piece is going to be a minute and a half long, they can't use that 40 seconds. They're going to use 10 seconds of it. And most reporters, interviewers, editors, 
uh, whatever. I mean, they do their best to work to to get the points across. They're not they're not trying to screw you in what they're using, but time is finite. And so that becomes an issue. It's much better when you're doing a long form interview and it's live. Then they can't take the word, you know, th th there's no editing going on most of the time. So right, and can't uh, take it out of context. But I can only imagine how difficult it might be for people to be able to figure out what they want to say in sound bites, especially if they don't have the questions ahead of time <laughs> to prepare for them. Well, this is true, but one can pretty much imagine what most of the questions are going to be. Now, you use the example of a chef. A chef, in particular, has an issue when they're doing a television show, uh, for example, because they're probably cooking while they're talking and while they're moving. So, I mean, I'm, I know you've seen this many a time where you'll see a chef, they, they're on some kind of a, a counter, they probably got a, a stove there, they've got uh, six cameras on them, seven cameras. lights. Exactly. <laughs> they've got a camera up above, they've got cameras from all the sides, and they've got a host who wants to get involved. And and I know you're you're busy saying, now I put this spice in and then I put this much in and then I stir it like this. And, blah, blah. and, the, ho and the, the host is going, well, why do you do it like that? And you're going, oh, I don't have time for that. Well, you do it like this because so, um, so that's walking, talking, demoing, and that's all going on at once, which can take it, it, it. And you want to tell a story about it. Why are you making this recipe? What's the beauty behind that spice? What's, uh, how did you get into your role? I mean, because you got to tell stories too. So they have a particularly tough job, believe it or not, as do people who might be, um, you know, maybe maybe there's they're doing a fashion show, or maybe they're whatever it is. But there's there's a lot of moving parts. You have to really think about it, and you have to think about time management. So it becomes even more difficult. But in a typical interview, it's important th that you really think through ahead of time and do great prep. What are people going to ask me? And in most cases, the the questions are going to be the same wherever you go. How'd you get started? Why is this important? Um, how does it work? What's, you know, what's the main issue? Uh, what's the controversy? What's the this? What's the that? So, I mean, in journalism, we have, we have, you know, there's, there's the who, what, why, when, where, and how. And so you should be prepared to answer every single one of those questions. And then, and then another trick is Google yourself and Google your company and see what the world is saying about you because that's exactly what the reporter or the interviewer is doing. So whatever, or the producer or, or whomever it is, whatever it's saying about you and Google, be prepared to answer that because they're gonna see it and they're gonna ask you. And then a third thing is whatever business you're in. Like I used to, I hosted a morning newscast, I hosted weekend newscasts. I had a show of my own for a while. I did a lifestyle show. And <clears throat> we would believe that if somebody came on our air and there'd been like, let's say a lawyer comes on and the lawyer's there to talk about a new book. But meantime, there's a story in the front page of the Wall Street Journal that talks about some legal decision that the Supreme Court has made. Because this person is a lawyer, we feel perfect, perfectly free to ask them about that decision and the legal implications from it. Now, they might say, well, I'm not here to talk about that. And we go, but you're a lawyer. What's it mean? Right? <laughs> so 
you have to be prepared with what's happening in the in in you know in the immediacy of the day. What which I can only imagine it has to be fairly difficult because that would require one knowing not just kind of what the story of the day is. I because I well imagine there could be twenty seven stories of the day. It depends oh. on who's doing what. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and there could be something that's very local or it could be something that's the global. Right. So it's, you you know, you need to be, it's about awareness and be aware. But that stuff happens when you're making presentations as well. If you're making a, a presentation at a conference, let's just say, and the conference is about the retail industry and, um, and you're doing it on the Friday that jobs reports come out and the job report says, ah, retail jobs are way down. You're in the question and answer period. You're probably going to get somebody saying, hey, what's going on in your business? Why, why are there so, why are jobs go- disappearing? So you just, I mean, no matter what you're doing, if you're going to be in a public arena of any sort, you truly need to be aware of what's happening in your industry at that moment. Absolutely. So when you're working with people, are you working with them primarily for the purpose of interviews like that? Or is it on the presence of public speaking? So whether if they're doing an IPO or something like that, and then I'll get into kind of how do they um, bring those current events into that? But sorry, I asked 20 questions at once. Um, and you know what I tell people when you get a, a, a question that's got 20 questions at once, pick the one you want to answer. Exactly. <laughs> so there. Um, so with the presentation training, which is actually what I do more of than I do of the media training, because not everyone is going to be in the media, but almost everybody has to make a presentation at some sort of some sort at some time in their life. So with the presentation training, I use a lot of video, meaning I not only show them video clips of best practices, but I also video them that I then play back and we analyze it. After I've after we've talked through and polished their message, after we've after I've given them some demonstrations of really good body language, then we video them. I, um, they will either make the presentation and we'll video that and look at it and, and decide what did they do really well and where do they need to take it up a notch? Um, and if it's an interview, I'll ask them questions, questions that I would certainly ask them in an interview. It's really, it's it's as real as it can get. And and then, and, but in, in each case, we play the video back and we're, we're very clear about what are we looking for and how are we going to take them up a notch and how they're and how they're either presenting themselves or interviewing. I love it. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen my own videos because it's just what we do. <laughs> uh, but I left a message for my mom and dad one day and I went through their messages for them because they're in their 90s to help them go through the video or go through the voicemail. And I didn't recognize my own voice. <laughs> if I don't recognize really? my own voice. So amazing. <laughs> like, how uh, many times do people listen to it and go, oh my God, is that what I look like? Is that how I sound? I don't want to do <laughs> Every single Everyone. person. Because now Zoom has changed things a little bit, or mm-hmm. I should say Google Meet or whatever the heck you use. Yeah. It's changed us a little bit because now we see ourselves more often. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I have Invisaligns in right now because I started to see myself after all those years in television. But somehow when I started to do all the Zooms, I'm looking at my teeth 
And I thought, they look awful. I'm just going to tell you that Invisalign's business has exploded since (laughs) Zoom started. Um, So nobody likes, I, I, I can tell you, almost to a person. Every single client of mine goes, oh, I don't want to watch myself. I don't want to watch myself. I don't like the way I look. And I go, well, this is part of the deal. And you're watching yourself. And I think a really good practice for people, there's, this is, a, I think, a valuable, valuable tip, is to take your camera and record yourself before you're going to go in and talk to the boss, before you're going to make a pitch, before you're, if you are doing an interview, before you do the interview. And, and I would almost do it on a weekly basis. Set up your your uh, your camera someplace so it can you know, put stack it up against some books or something, uh, and answer questions or practice a presentation. Practice your pitch. I mean, every single entrepreneur that's watching this or listening is making a pitch of some sort all the time. Practice it. Look at it and say, "I love how I did that." that doesn't sound so good. I should change up this language. You know what? That works with a different audience and not the one I'm speaking to. So I should change that. You'll be astounded at how much it helps you get better. Absolutely. Well, and I found as well that if I have something going through my head, it it comes across completely different when it comes out out loud. It's like, (laughs) it's rehearsed beautifully. It's epic. It's perfect (laughs) in my mind. And then I get out onto camera and it's like, wow, that did not come out the same way. Well, our perception of ourselves is completely, they say it's about 30% different than our percept, than, than what, how other people perceive us. So it's interesting because people will take things away from you that you don't, you know, take, when I say take things away, I mean, they'll, they'll get from you something that you didn't intend. And some of that's from our body language. And some of that is that we just have different, um, we said different, we just see ourselves differently. So you gotta, you gotta take a look at it. That's why it's a good exercise. The other thing that's really important, and I learned this early on in television, is the camera. And by the way, doing something right here on Zoom in that little button, that little camera up there, is very much like being in a television studio. You are your own producer in essence, but your energy is drained by about 30%. I don't know if it's because it's in in inanimate object or because it's um, you know the depth, all of that sort of thing. So you actually need to add energy. Another great exercise is again taking your camera is to do so. You say do the opening of your presentation, two minutes worth, and then do another version where you're over dramatic, where you do it. So you feel really uncomfortable. You feel like an idiot. Now you watch the two of them. And I'm going to guarantee you right now, you're going to like the second one better with the overdramatic thing. Because so few of us use all of our dynamic dynamism. We don't, we don't use it like we should. And when you see that you can take something, I'm not suggesting you act like an idiot. But what I am saying <laughs> is that you can go and stretch it so much further and it's going to be really effective, much more effective than you ever dreamed possible. So try it. 
you're going to be stunned. I love that. I went and saw the bloopers of one of the outtakes from a movie with Jim Carrey and somebody called him an overactor. And of course, the whole cast was laughing because nobody can overact like Jim Carrey can. But it, it's surprising to me how people don't recognize that on stage in particular, you have to be bigger because mm -hmm. if you're just standing there, you're this little spot on the stage right. and you've got all of this space to be able to consume and you can't possibly overact as much as Jim Carrey does. And he is fascinating to us. So if right. his overacting is fascinating to us, then your overacting is going to be, it's just going to add to the presentation. Right. And another thing that adds to that is we're overstimulated in today's world with all the social media that we use, all of that. So you lose an audience quickly if you don't have a lot of energy. If you're not dynamic, you lose them. They tune out. So what are some so, of the things that people can do to be dynamic without being, you know, without swaying and making people dizzy, <laughs> you know, all the kind of uh, uh, subconscious things that people do? Okay. Well, so now if we're talking about being in person, mm -hmm. one of the things that you can do is uh, use gestures. I'm going to put my hands up here, even though I would never do this virtually, just to demonstrate. <laughs> but people, you think about a normal conversation. You use your hands to say, well, there is this point and then this point and then this point. So use your hands because they actually illustrate and add emphasis. Now, I've been using my hands the whole entire time down below the screen virtually because it has the same effect. You're still getting that feeling that I'm bringing through my voice and my shoulders and that kind of thing. Uh, but you're just not seeing my hands because if I did this, it would be really distracting. A couple <laughs> I can't of, see yeah. your lips. <laughs> exactly. So a couple of, of things like this, if you take like a um, a playground ball and hold it like this, that's put it, you know in front of your torso, obviously, that's considered to be very visionary. This kind of uh, using your hands like this or like the old steeple thing or just like this, again, in front of your belly button, basically, that is a very non-threatening and it's kind of a listening mode. And it means that you're really interested in people. Another big thing is your eye contact. Here, I put frequently put a little note up on the top of the camera that says, look here, stupid. Um, <laughs> so because we don't do it, we're interested in like, I want to look at you and get your reaction. But now I've lost eye contact with the people that are watching. So we have to have great eye contact. When you're on a stage, uh, I call it, um, it's the rule of three. And what do I mean by that? Divide your audience into three pieces of pizza. And the first piece, so when you start, you look out for the at the first slice of pizza, those people, and you look at them and you have a phrase of, hey, it's fabulous to be here with you today. I'm going to tell you how to make every presentation perfect. Then you look to the left or the right, and you say that involves a lot of different steps and the way you deliver is really important. And we're also going to talk about how you use your voice because your voice sets the stage for what's coming. So you see how I've made sure that every part of my audience feels included. And then after that, I start looking at individuals and eyes. Eye contact, I mean, they're the gateway to the soul. Eyes don't lie. So I want you to think about how important eye contact is. 
your posture. If you're on a stage or just in, even in front of a small meeting group, most pe people say that they sit. I stand up and I stand up because back to your notion of being larger than life, you become larger than life. So you can move there and, and build in strategic movement, walk around a room on a stage. You'll, you'll, you can move on the stage. Just don't move and talk and move and talk and move and talk and move and talk and move and talk because then you're like a bobblehead <laughs> and nobody can hear you. So think about strategic movement during your presentation because that will really help. Um, Give me an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients that you've been working with. Um, oh, there's so many. So I had a client who had a huge job, but the company felt like he wasn't really out there effectively that, that in, you know, in person, in small meetings, he was so dynamic, but he just simply couldn't translate that to a stage. And he was being asked to speak everywhere and he was consistently refusing to do it. So we worked together and his biggest problem was that he felt like, and by the way, a lot of women have this problem. He felt like he was being too both boastful when he was discussing the success of the company, like it was making them all about him. So we reversed that. And I said, let's make it like the company is the person and you are just the conduit. And, the, and, then, and then again, I had him do that exercise with the, um, you know, with being very overly dramatic and he, he just hated it. He was like, <laughs> but all of a sudden this light bulb went off in his head and he goes, I can do that. And he started to do it. And it was, he was a completely changed human being. Nice. It's just, and it's, um, you know, there's a thing called glossophobia, which is a fear of public speaking. 87% of the people in the United States have it at some point or another in their lifetime. Maybe it's because of a situation where they were called upon to do something at the last moment and they totally freaked, or maybe it's because they didn't realize that, um, you know, some somebody was going to be there that could help make or break their career or their next move or something. Uh, and then all of a sudden they found that out and they just couldn't, they felt like, why am I here speaking? And they're not. Um, so dealing with and, and there's an old story an old joke that at a funeral most people would rather be in the casket than be delivering the eulogy so i'm just saying there's a lot of people afraid of it but if you start to think of your purpose and why you're there it takes away a lot of that fear because all of a sudden you realize that you wouldn't be asked to be speaking if you weren't the expert in that subject or knew a lot more than anybody in the audience, um, you wouldn't be asked to be there if there wasn't a lot of respect for you. You wouldn't be asked to be there if people didn't think that you could do a great job. So if you start to get some confidence knowing that the information you're about to deliver and the, the purpose of which you hope of what you're trying to accomplish, if you focus on that instead of anything else, then you get really good. I love that. So you, you've mentioned the fear of public speaking. 
um, being called on short notice to go and speak in front of a crowd that you may not be used to speaking in front of. What are some of the other stumbling blocks that somebody might be having that's listening to us right now going, oh, Jane, I need you so badly? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of people that are introverted and feel like this is just not their place. Again, get to that notion of your purpose. That'll really help you. Other stumbling blocks, uh, women in particular are like, oh, I don't like the way my hair looks. I don't like the, you know, my outfit isn't right, etc." So what I want you to think about doing is really good prep work, really good research. When you're speaking to an organization, look at maybe some, see what you can find. You can find anything online these days. Find a previous conference, see what people look like in the audience, check out what what the stage is like. Um, give yourself an opportunity to, 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 to get comfortable. I'm doing um, a big conference next week and I just, I got off the phone before this with a conversation with the, with the events people saying, what's the stage look like? What are you gonna have on it? What kind of mic am I gonna use? Um, how much walkway room am I gonna have? Are you, do you have steps going up to the stage? Uh, how how many how you how you setting up the audience are they going to be at tables are they going to be so I got the lay of the land when I get there I will go do a run through ahead of time not a complete run through but enough to make sure that everything is working I'll know where I'm going to stand where I'm going to walk what I'm going to use how I'm going to do things so allow yourself to do really good prep when somebody says to me oh I like to wing things I'm like I can't believe you've had the success you've had. <laughs> right. So. The whole idea of walking on a stage sometimes is every stage is different. And right. when they put it together, they can take it from the left side of the room, put it into the right side of the room. And I still want to walk up it again <laughs> to make sure it's put together the same way that I feel the same way on that stage. I'll tell you something else that I think is really important is I don't like barriers between the audience and me. So for example, I never speak behind a podium. Um, second thing is, and I've done this many a time at conferences, I'll walk, I'll go out and the, the, check out the stage and they'll have, maybe I do a lot of like live interviews for people. They call them fireside chats, although there's never a fire. Um, and I will, and, and I'll, I'll walk on the stage and I'll see they have the chairs pulled way to the back of the stage. So there's, you know, 30 or 40 feet between me and the audience. I make them pull the chairs right to the front and they go, well, I don't know about the lighting. I said, fix the lighting then because I'm not going to be that far away from the audience. So get yourself close to the audience, make it as intimate as you possibly can be, because the more intimate is the more fun it will have. And then make everything highly interactive, ask questions, do polls, look at people and go, I see you nodding over there. Did you like that idea? And just so the audience now gets truly engaged because we are capable of all this interactivity. Back to that notion of being overstimulated. That's what we like. So use it. Call on people. So what if they like going, oh, and just like, oh, you're nervous and anxious. That's okay. I am too. Hey, come up on stage with me. You know, I just <laughs> I do goofy things because I want it to be really meaningful for the people that are there. I don't want them wasting their time and I want them to have fun more than anything. 
Love it. And so hugely important knowing, just knowing what kind of microphone you're going to have, because if you're expecting to have a lavalier and all of a sudden you get there and you get a microphone, <laughs> you know, all no. of a sudden your hands and your ability to right. express yourself you visually. <laughs> or, or you use the mic and then as you're talking, you're gesturing with the mic and then all of a sudden they can't hear what you're saying. I mean, exactly. there's so a lot. There's, there's a lot. A lot. So, so peeps, I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you? So my, uh, I have a website, it's called janehanson.com, H-A-N-S-O-N, and you can find me there and there's a contact page. And my email is really simple. It's jane at janehanson.com. No so there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Make it easy. I believe in uh, simplicity. I love it. So we will, of course, have all of Jane's notes in the show notes we'll have our links in the show notes so be sure to click on our links open them up in a new browser because we're not done yet so jane you you kind of alluded to it when you left the um when you left to go and start your own company but at what point did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur i am a huge believer in change and in trying things and opening up doors and see where they lead you. And it's not that I never say no, but I always just have this notion that you got to try. How many people do you know that say, I have this really cool idea, but I'm not going to try it until I have, you know, half a million dollars in the bank. So I have a big cushion or I'm going to wait until my kid is out of high school before I try it. Or um, I've got to, I'm, I've got to write that book first, whatever they say, but that's just giving yourself an excuse not to try. So for me, it was, I knew I wanted to, to leave the world of television, even though I loved it so much um, just for, you know, for my family purposes, for my own, you know, news never, it was, it was, News never takes a holiday. For a long time, I did an early morning broadcast that had me up at 3.20 in the morning. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons about that was what wasn't what I was doing when I left, but there were all kinds of reasons that I thought I gotta, I gotta try something else. And my aha moment was really when I was interviewing, um, I was interviewing somebody and they came up and this happened more than once in a short period of time. And they came off the set and they said, I, I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. And I go, well, whose problem is that? And they go, well, so what I, and I thought in my head, I know exactly how to choreograph an interview. I took these people down a pathway and they merrily followed around along without ever getting back to the point of why they were there. And I know exactly how to do that. I can teach people how to do that. And they'll pay me money to teach them how to do that. And then I also thought about all the presentations that I'd heard that were terrible. And I knew the ones that I made were pretty good. And I thought, I know how to do this too. And and so that was it. Nice. I love it. I, and then it alludes to me that there's so much that you've learned in, in broadcasting and working with the networks to be able to hone that information, to be able to bring it out to the public. and it just fascinates me that you never would have been able to do that in any other way other than becoming an entrepreneur and, and bringing that gift to the world. Yeah. 
yes. And, and I love entrepreneurs. I, I have so many people that I've met along the way and they, they're the energy and the excitement. Um, I just worked with a woman last week who's an entrepreneur and she created a company that, I mean, most entrepreneurs create something because of a need or solving a problem, right? And she start, she, she didn't intend to do anything other than her, her daughter had cradle cap, her baby, and, and cirrhosis. And um, so her skin was really bad and no product that she was given worked to help her, the, the, the baby. And she happens to have been um, an esthetician and her husband is a chemist. And one day he looked at her and he said, well, you know how to make formulas. Why don't you make something? So she made something. And in the space of two years, she's now got a company. Her annual revenues are over $2 million. And she's created now four different product lines. And she's growing like crazy. All And she said, I should have never intended to start a business. It was just, I couldn't, nobody was giving me anything to help my daughter's cradle cap. <laughs> and I Good love those stories because it's, it's again, the purpose wasn't, I'm going to go out there and just make loads and loads of money. The purpose was I need something and I got to find a reason for it. And almost every entrepreneur I've ever met kind of has that same thing. And it's wonderful. It's just wonderful to see these success stories like that. Love it. You have been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Yes. Use your phones, practice, think about good prep and believe in yourself. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures, but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.